0: Welcome to Inspiration from the Couch. I'm Avery. I'm Jamie. And I'm Lucy. We are psychologists and moms. Join us
1: as we discuss what we've figured out, what we've yet to figure out, and what there's just no figuring out.
2: It's sure to be fun, and you may be inspired along the way.
1: Hello. So today we are going to review our book for this month entitled you should talk to someone a therapist her therapist and our lives revealed big title by Lori gottlieb and again as i stated on the last podcast you don't have to have read this book we are going to give you our thoughts on it and maybe it'll inspire you to read the book but you don't have to have read it so would either one of you like to summarize the book well, do you want me to summarize the book I'll
0: summarize it. You want to summarize it? Sure. Go for it. So basically, Lori Gottlieb is a therapist. She's a psychologist. And so this book is this kind of combination of like her own progress through a certain time of her life and then also her work with, I think, is it four patients mm-hmm. and kind of different ways that those kind of intersect, like both what she's doing in her life and, the and not only she's in her doing. life,
2: but in her work as a therapy client. That's like right, she's that's both a right. client and a the therapist. That's right. That's right.
0: So it's kind of like her therapeutic relationship with her therapist her therapeutic relationship with her four clients and then just kind of background, like what's going on in her life. Right, yeah. Yeah. Like
1: what the impetus was for her to go into therapy and you get to see what it's like for a therapist to be in their own therapy. And yeah, and I like the way that she writes the book. There's sort of this alternating between her experience in therapy and getting some of her background and what's going on. And then it sort of like flashing over into the therapy room where she's working with her clients. And like Avery said, there's four different clients. They're very different. They have very different um, presenting concerns or why they've come in to, to seek out therapy. The clients though, they're disguised. So these are, she's kind of fictionalized them. So they're an amalgam of clients that she's seen in the past, but she does a really great job of, of writing um, and really describing. And it's like, you can really picture what it's like, at least in my opinion, of what it's like in the room with her and her clients. So just a brief like overview of who the clients are, just a real brief description. So one, his name is John, and he is a pretty self-absorbed Hollywood producer. The second client that you're introduced to is Julie, and she is a young newlywed who's been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And then her third client is named Rita, and this is um, an aging woman who threatens to commit suicide on her birthday if nothing in her life gets better.
2: In a year. from Yes, then. a uh-huh. year from
1: then. So the clock is ticking <laughs> when Lori meets her. And then Charlotte, who is a 20-something-year-old woman who just can't seem to stop hooking up with the wrong guys and has a bit of an alcohol problem. So those are the um, characters in the book. Very interesting. So for the two of you, what are your thoughts, your overall thoughts on the book and the way that she writes?
2: So I have enjoyed this book. I think all of us just reread it a second time. We'd all read it a few years ago and have reread it kind of in preparation for the podcast, but it is very relatable, very enjoyable. You kind of get glimpses into these human souls and kind of who they are. So a lot I really like about it. Having said that, Like one of the reactions that came up and was so validating because when we were talking beforehand, I think maybe we all had this reaction, which was kind of nice to hear. But I had huge sense of like an adequacy when I was reading it. Like, oh, my God, I'm such a crappy therapist right like she says such good things and has these good ideas and is tying in all these other concepts and like oh no like feeling so so incompetent I yeah. 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 I was
0: like i'm not a good writer i'm not a good
2: therapist like this she's so high level <laughs> yeah right yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah i felt that way too yeah
0: it's
2: kind of interesting that all of us liked the book a lot but then also had these moments where like something got triggered in us yeah hmm.
1: yeah i think there was a bit of like Comparison making, you know, with her, with her and her own therapist. I mean, they're both like. I thought she's good, and then she goes to him, and he's great too. Yeah, it's like, oh my gosh, yeah, have got some great therapists out there in LA. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. (laughs) Yes, yes. Other things that you gravitated towards in the book, I will tell you. I finished reading it last night. Robert had gone to bed, and I think I kind of kept waking him up because I was. Like there are parts in the book where I just cry my eyes out, quite honestly. And I had all the snot like dripping down. And I was like blowing my nose and stuff. And I was worried that I was, it was waking him up because I was just kind of sobbing in some parts of it because it really is touching. It's, it's very, very touching.
0: touching. Yeah. It's very touching. Yeah. It's a delightfully enjoyable book to yeah. read. I mean, I, it really, because I've read it. Actually, I, I almost hate to admit this, but I started reading it again. I knew I was going to have to do it. So I started reading it again, actually, on Thursday mm-hmm. and I finished it on Friday Yeah, yeah. Um, because it really and I think even if I hadn't been on a time crunch, I could have probably read it pretty quickly because yeah. it's really it's just good. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just really highly entertaining and you get a lot out of it. I mean, by her talking about these things that are kind of making us all feel like, uh, inadequate, some of those are just like her really in-depth knowledge of therapy and psychology and the way people function and different theories. And like one thing she talks about is like attachment styles. Like she really talks about this like therapeutic, psychological kind of information and weaves it in so beautifully with these like stories that you just want to hear more and more about that you can learn and be entertained kind of at the same time. It's delightful.
1: So one of the things in the very beginning of the book, Lori has an author's note and she explains why she uses the term patients rather than clients. And neither of those terms really kind of satisfies her. And so I noticed that among the three of us that we use different names to refer to the people that come to see us for therapy. Have you all thought about that? Why you do that? Like why you use patient versus client or vice versa?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I've thought about it. I don't know that I've come to a conclusion. A lot of times because I see mostly adolescents or even now college kids, I'll call them like my kids at work. I don't know. Mm-hmm. What, I mean, that's usually what I'll like if I'm talking at a talk about my patients, I'll say, well, the kids at work or the kids I see at work because I don't feel like either one quite. Because you use patients. I here. use patients in uh-huh. here. That's interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. Cause, but it, that even feels, I don't know,
2: like neither of them feel like a, a perfect fit. Avery, I was wondering for you, because you were trained within a medical school community, right, where you did your programming. And I don't know if that was the word that they used there, where I was trained with the word clients. Interesting. Well, And I did. I mean, most of my training
0: was at UT Southwestern. So it was at hospitals and clinics where these people were being treated for medical conditions as well. So I think we all kind of collectively called them patients. And that's probably why I still call them patients now. But I think really the better fit is like the people I work with. Yeah,
1: And that just gets lengthy to (laughs) Uh, (laughs) to to say that. Yeah, I think probably for those of you, if you go and see a mental health provider, if you hear them talking about it, they may use either term, clients or patients. And for me, you know, training at the University of North Texas, the counseling program, we refer to people as clients. Then when I went and did the rest of my training and got hired at the Dallas VA Medical Center as a hospital. And so a lot of times people would still use patients, but I noticed that I I would always still say clients just because of where I had trained initially. One of the other things that I really enjoyed about reading about Lori, the author, was that she didn't really have a direct path in becoming a psychologist. It was pretty kind of all over the, the place. She initially worked in television. Then she went into writing. Then she actually went to medical school for a while. And then finally, she ended up in a clinical psychology graduate program. So I was just curious, maybe you want to tell our listeners, what were your paths like for you in becoming a psychologist?
0: So mine was extremely direct. I've wanted to be a psychologist since I was in fifth grade. I had a conversation with my granddad about, he was a minor in psychology, he was a priest and he, um, a physical priest and he, and I talked about it and I was like, yep, that's what I want to do. i never wavered from it. I majored in psychology and at SMU and then went directly from SMU to my graduate program at UT Southwestern. I didn't know within psychology that I wanted to be a like a private practice therapist, but that's kind of been the only thing that I've kind of had to navigate. I, I worked in a clinic for a while. I've worked at some hospitals. So that's kind of where I was like narrowing my focus. But working with children, adolescents, young people in psychology, I've kind of like wanted to do that since I was a young person. Wow. Yeah. Very direct for me.
2: Very linear. Yeah. I think when I was around fifth grade and it was probably around the fifth grade I wanted to be a mailman for a while right. <laughs> so that was really, no but more my my path was more winding as an adult uh-huh. right so when I started college I started out as a joint computer science and Spanish double major interesting yeah I think before then I always knew I really wanted to like teach or counsel like I always but I felt like I needed to like succeed mm-hmm. quote unquote first mm-hmm. and this like more intense sort of discipline right like so the ego totally got in the way mm-hmm. right and so after my Freshman year of college, I had a great internship with a software company, and I was like the only girl around a bunch of guys who didn't really talk much, and it was horrible. Right? I was. It was very clear (laughs) to me like this is not what I want to be doing. The only good thing that came from that is I had this lovely boss with two young kids who I started babysitting, and they were the flower girls in my wedding later. Right? So that was really nice. But I came back that fall of my sophomore year, and I was like, I'm going to switch to business, the business school. Right? So that's like a step over. So I was business, finance, and Spanish. I did that for a few years. The summer after my junior year, I got. It's like a prestigious internship at a local consulting firm. There was like one SMU person that they took and got a job offer at the end of the summer and came back in my senior year. I had four finance classes in a row and I came home just like weeping. Like, mm-hmm. I hate this. Like, I cannot do this. Like, why would I want to wait? So much to my, especially my father's horror. Like, he was so disappointed in <laughs> me, which was really new for me to like have this disappointed I dropped my finance major. I said no to this consulting gig. Wow. And I picked up a psych minor and applied to graduate school. So when I applied to graduate school that fall, the only psychology class on my transcript was intro to psychology. Oh, wow. Wow. So, and then I switched but I knew I'd made the right move. So I like was in a developmental class and all the books that were required reading had been on my personal list of books I wanted to read. And from there I was like, yes, this is exactly what I should be doing. My dad is now proud of what I do. It took a little bit of like shifting, but yeah, that was my for so long. I never knew that about you. That's really
0: cool. What about you, Jamie?
1: I was all over the place (laughs) to be quite honest. So I thought from, you know, probably middle school, high school that I wanted to become a physician. And so went in as pre-med and started at one university and ended up graduating from with a bachelor's at another university. But during that freshman year of that initial university, I started pre-med and then changed to English after taking an English class. That was a lot of fun and then switched to sociology because I really enjoyed the professor. And then I transferred schools, went back to pre-med and then finally at organic, chem took me out. Um, I did. I hated that class so much and then decided, oh, I don't want to do that. But I was in the meantime, taking an abnormal psych class and I was like, "Haha! ha, this is it. So I took a bunch of psychology classes in my last like couple of years and decided, okay, I want to do something with this. I don't know. And then without much thought, just went right into the master's program there and got a master's in community psychology. I thought, okay, well, this is good enough. But then I went and worked at a juvenile correctional facility for several years. And that showed me you don't have enough knowledge to do this. And I don't think I want to work in this particular type of institution I would love to work with you know, adolescents or families that before they get to this particular point where I feel like it could make more of an impact. And so then started applying to grad schools and then got into UNT. And that was a little windy too. I mean, I was in the program and thought, well, oh, I'm going to work at the Dallas VA Medical Center. And when I did a prac there and a practicum experience there, and had never thought about that until I got and did a practicum. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, I want to, I want to do this. This is the psychologist that I want to be. And then ended up leaving there to go into private practice so that I could have a better balance and a way better commute. <laughs> so that's my story. <laughs> so, yeah.
2: Different paths. That's
1: right. Different paths. Yeah, paths. Yeah. Why for do? sure. So out of everybody in the book and... We can give a little bit of a description or not keep it mysterious for our listeners are by there? the way
2: just to, yeah. to interrupt real quick when i was thinking about the windy path so she yeah. went back to graduate school for clinical psych around our age yeah right she now, did so close yeah, to 40 yeah. right and we have that's a close right. colleague who yeah. is in our consultation group who went back to yep he changed from school. business that's
1: right yeah he but got that's a kind of inspiring in yeah, i'm really
2: amazed by people who are like that brave and courageous who could say like i'm gonna like shake up the whole system yeah yeah, yeah
1: find yeah. what i really want to do i mean it does it takes a lot of courage to do that so finally and sometimes it takes a while a lot of times <laughs> several of us are but some, sort of even right now like yeah. i
2: feel like oh my god would it be too late for me to do something different right it's easy to feel like okay i've already done this yeah. i'm this far into it like could i really switch and make a move That's like you keep saying my life is halfway right? over my life is right. halfway over. But, right yeah. 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 yeah yeah but maybe not i mean like that mm-hmm. it's not too late
1: mm-hmm. right never mm-hmm So which either patient or character, however you want to address them in the book, is there a particular one that resonates with you the most or that you identify with the most
0: or something that just really stands out to you? So I think the first time I read it, it resonated with me the most that this, I won't say colleague in the sense that I know her, but somebody that's doing what I'm doing did this thing that was totally different which was to write the book, right? And so that, I think the first time I read it, I was just so inspired by this idea of like, private practice doesn't have to look like private practice all the time and that there are things that you can do that are different and outside of that comfort zone. And that's a large part of why we're even, I'm even doing this podcast is that it kind of got me thinking, hey, there's something else to do. The second time around, when I read it the second time, I was inspired by the newlywed that, was, that had the cancer diagnosis. Yeah, Julie. Julie. Mm-hmm. I do not have a cancer diagnosis, but I have had some pretty significant health issues in the intervening time since I read this book the first time. And just this idea, it was just so inspiring to hear how she was choosing to take control and kind of show up in a way that was really grateful and open and engaged and not in the victim role, which I think sometimes I put myself in. And so I think that was really resonated with me. The second read
1: was Julie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How about for you, Lucy?
2: You yeah, know, I probably identify most with Lori at yeah. this point, but I think the interesting part about it is all of the characters yeah. you could find things to identify with, things that resonated, either what I struggle with or like parallel process with maybe clients I work with or people in my life, that there was a lot to kind of come back to being like, oh, this is familiar. Oh, that's an interesting way to look at this one thing that may be showing up kind of different in my own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
1: I agree with you, too. I mean, probably identify the most with Lori, but I think the things that were really resonating or touching were all of the just the vulnerability and humanity that's shown by all of the the characters in there that you really can find something likable about all of them.
2: Well, that's been so interesting being a psychologist and being in private practice and working with people that pretty much any client that's come in that's been willing to be vulnerable and show up like they're likable. Like everyone is likable when they are willing to show up and be seen. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Uh, absolutely. And I will say probably the one, maybe the story that probably touched me the most was like you, Avery, the story of um, Julie, the young newlywed with, with cancer. And I used to work in hospice at the Dallas VA Medical Center. And I will say that, especially as a young clinician, I think that probably those clients were the ones that touched me the most out of all the clients. And <laughs> I'm getting
2: choked up. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah, thinking about it. you
1: now. Yeah.
2: What do you think that was like, what about them touched you? Well, I think just,
1: you know, that they're there. It's a terminal illness mm-hmm. and all of the training and the things that we do. And I think Lori kind of alludes to that in the book really is it's so important to just be with with individuals you know to just see them let them see you but really see them and and hospice I mean you know their situation really is not going to change and it's just a, a different experience knowing that your relationship really is gonna end with them and how can you help someone and help their families just come to this acceptance and peace around this that they are going to pass away.
2: and Also help yourself, right? Because it's not yeah. only helping them and their families, but it's a loss for the therapist, be mm-hmm. you or Lori and that.
1: Yeah, and that was one of the hardest things yeah. is when I would leave on a Friday and I didn't know what the patient census was going to be when I Ugh. returned on a Monday. That some of my clients, you know, I would say goodbye and then that really could have been the goodbye. Yeah.
2: So... <laughs> I do think that mortality, I mean, there's something powerful in working with that because it has a way of like clearing all the bullshit. Yeah. Right. And, and distilling like down to what really matters. Like we can kind of get to the essence of things a little bit when we have to confront that.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: So it's powerful. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's powerful for sure. So what do you think our clients, patients, people who come see us in
0: therapy, what do you think they want from us? goodness, I don't know, but I will say that when I felt like I'm giving them what they want, it feels like it's connection. Mm -hmm. It feels like it's a sense of belonging and a sense of this, um, I think, who's it, Carl Rogers would say unconditional positive regard, but just that I know these things and I'm still here, that you can show me all of this. And there's some unconditional regard that we're going to keep showing up and that you can belong in here. I think that's where I felt that's where I felt like I've done the best work is when, when there's that connection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you guys?
2: Well, sometimes I don't think a client would never in all my years has a client phrased it like that. Like I'm coming here for connection and for you to no. see me as I am with unconditional positive regard. Right. right so right. often people present for this one, something more like circumscribed and pragmatic, usually like I want to feel less depressed or less anxious, or I have this problem that I want to go away. But I think you're right. Like what ends up, that like the power of it. Is something kind of different. Uh,
0: yeah. It's almost like there are these parallel processes. There's like, I'm coming in because I want you to help me to get less depressed, but I'm also like coming in. And the reason I keep coming back is because I feel that connection. And, and sometimes I'll even say, I don't know why, but I just feel better right now. I just feel better after talking. And it's like, well, of course you do. You've said these things that are really hard to say. I haven't gone run screaming for the hills. Like I've sat here and Continue to show up and and i didn't try to fix it i didn't try to fix it i didn't shame you for it right. and i didn't tell you you shouldn't feel this way right and you can continue to be okay with me even though you've shared it and yeah i think that that's i think it's one of the most powerful gifts we can give
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah so
1: Lori, who's the author of the book asks wendell who is her therapist whether he likes her <laughs> <laughs> And he says that he does, but not for the reasons that she's asking about being liked. He says that he likes her spirit or he likes her soul. And so I'm wondering for the two of you, when do you see glimpses of that in your practice of somebody's spirit or somebody's soul?
2: I think it's kind of what I was alluding to earlier. So right, when people come in and they are vulnerable and authentic and real, when they are willing to show you their mess and be open, right? I think sometimes it's harder and you can understand like if someone is defensive or guarded or shut down or Mm -hmm. unwilling, I think we can maybe understand those things. But I think those things function to push people away and keep people at a distance and like, don't see me. And so I think when you get that glimpse of the souls, when someone's willing to kind of let you in.
1: Yeah. I think so much of society are individuals walking around trying really hard to not be seen.
2: (laughs) Well, said so that, that like we want to be seen, but we're terrified to be exactly. seen, right? It's like exactly. the push right. pull. Yeah, so right. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: yeah, so right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I'd like to you to see, yeah, exactly this piece of me that I feel like I have put together, but not this other piece of me that's sort of the messier part, right? Well,
2: and the irony is, what draws us in yeah. is the messier part, mm-hmm. yeah. the messier, vulnerable imperfections, are what actually I tend to find most likable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I think about it in my
0: personal life, I mean, that's where I feel most close to people is when I've shared something that's messy or awful with them. And they're like, yeah, I still love you. Or, or when I see with other people, they're like, here's my mess. And I trust you enough to share it with you. And I know that you're going to still stick around. It's like, ah. And I think I get little glimpses of that in therapy with patients when they just will even say, like, yeah, that's exactly it. And I'm like, ah. I mean, the whole tenor of the room just like relaxes because mm-hmm. it's like they feel, Like I got it. Like I said it and they're like, yeah, that's exactly the way you nailed it. And I just love that feeling of like they've they've been seen and they feel like they belong. And it's even kind of nice when they're able to say like,
2: no, not quite like, like that. that, I, like that I like, yeah. like more like that. Enough right. about right. me to,
0: to, to keep working. Ooh, well, yes. then we can be like, ah, oh, oh, there, there it is, is. right? Yes, <laughs> yeah, not quite there. Kind of like this because they were like working together, like a yeah. little, like trying to get the map out. I just, yep. I love that part. Yep. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think that's what keeps me coming back. Yeah. So one of the things Avery that you said that you disagreed with in the book is a quote by Laurie. Did you want to read that?
0: So sh- she's talking about seeing her patients out in the real world, which is terrifying, both as a patient myself and as a therapist myself, because it unsettles the working order of things. It's kind of like when you were a kid and you saw a teacher not at school and you're like, whoa, you're not supposed to exist out of here. (laughs) I think it's just weird. It's weird for everybody. So she's kind of talking about that, which understandably is is a strange experience. But what she says is often when patients see our humanity, they leave us. And I just really disagree with that. I really, I feel like actually... And maybe it's the patients I work with, or or maybe I'm just really lucky, but I find that when I show my humanity to patients, that seems to help with the like, yeah, you got it. That helps with the like, what I'm talking about, like the settling. And actually I've even had an experience specifically where I shared with a patient this time that I wasn't feeling like my best as a parent. And I was like, oh yeah, I did this, but I don't know if it was the best. And she was like, Oh, it feels so good that you're not a perfect parent all the time. I'm like, come on over then. Like, it's never perfect. But I find that to not be true. Mm-hmm. But what about you guys? What are your yeah, thoughts about that? I agree with you. I, I, I'm
1: i thinking like, Lori, have you read your own book? Because when you're really <laughs> relating to your clients and like when you're showing some of your humanity, that's what really, really does it for them, connects them to you. Yeah, because she goes on more. to cry
0: in front of a patient and yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. And it's,
2: and it's exactly what needed to happen. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't know if that's I agree with you. But she's careful throughout the book. I mean, you hear lots yes. of words around like, oh, oh should sure. I not say that? Or what's that going to be like? There's sure. a, it's a lot mm-hmm. of more of what I call like a Freudian psychoanalytic sort of perspective of I should be a blank slate. Right. And mm-hmm. not totally to that extent. I think she even describes that. But there's definitely... Less humanity. Yeah, like how much
1: is too much? Like you don't want to overwhelm your clients and it's, you don't want to make it about you, which I do agree with mm-hmm. that. It's, it's not about me. But yes, I mean, I, I do think that we connect better with others when we do show that human side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that honestly, we're doing that with this podcast, you mm-hmm. know, because I know I do have clients that listen to the podcast and, you know, I know that we've all gotten feedback like, oh, that's so great. It's so nice to know that, you know, you make mistakes too or whatnot.
2: Mm-hmm. And there may be clients where that is uncomfortable. I could see that sure. too. So maybe mm-hmm. if you, she talks about Googling her therapist or clients <laughs> who make Google us, or you find out something you don't want to hear, maybe they hear something on this podcast and it maybe changes the way they see us or think about us. Sure. And, and there's a risk in that it becomes a little messier. Mm-hmm. For sure.
1: For sure. Yeah. What do you think about that when she Google stocks her boyfriend <laughs> and then she Google stocks her, her therapist? Uh-huh. What are your, what are your, your thoughts about that? <laughs> I was going to say, how do you feel when you learn something about someone that you, you know, didn't know or you learned about it in the, maybe that particular way? I'm not accusing either of you of like Google stalking anybody. <laughs>
0: but, you know, do you think it helps, hurts? I think to me, it was interesting that she was kind of like exchanging like one behavior for another behavior. Like yeah. she was still Google stalking, but it felt like like a safer person maybe to Google mm-hmm. stalk or something. And I certainly will get on these like obsessive kind of terrors, not so much on like People like this, but like I'll get kind of like I got obsessed with a TV show, or I get obsessed with a band, and I need to find out all the things about it. Mm-hmm. So I get that need of like, let me just keep go, like googling, digging, digging, digging. But it, it's never really satisfying, right? It always feels like what you really want is connection. Mm-hmm. And I think that to me, that's what she was looking for in both. It's just I want to feel connected. But I mean, I'm sure people Google me. I don't know. I'm not sure that they do, but I'm imagining that they probably do. I've had a couple of situations where people have come across my personal information. That was kind of scary to me, but I get it. I mean, I like, I'm telling you all this stuff about me and yet I know nothing about you. It feels unsettling. That can come
2: up. That can come up in therapy too.
1: Yeah. 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 It's always an interesting situation when things like that happen and she comes clean with that with her, her therapist, Mm -hmm. not to spoiler alert, but anyway, she does. But so Anything that you all really sort of took away from the book, something that you've learned that you can apply to your relationship with yourself or others, something that you'd like for our listeners to think about, maybe to try at home?
0: So I think overall, I think if you ever, if you're interested in seeking out therapy or if you're interested in like learning more about mental health, it's a wonderful book because it's so engaging it's so fun to read. And it does give a kind of a nice little window into what therapy can look like. So I really, I liked that as an overarching goal. And again, my connection with the patient, Julie, is just radical acceptance, which I think is a lesson that we can all benefit from of just kind of continually, this patient had to accept more and more and more and more. and was able to do this with this beautiful like grace and it was just beautiful. It was a beautiful story. And really helped to open my eyes into like when I start to have that rigid fear of like, how can I open up to more acceptance? And, and it was I loved that. And I really connected with that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: How about for you, Lucy?
2: I, I don't actually have any nuggets of wisdom. <laughs> okay. I feel like and that's probably like a bit I need to tattle on myself. I didn't quite finish reading it the second time through. <laughs> three quarters of the way down. And I didn't like you were talking about earlier, like in an earlier episode about synthesizing it. Like, I know there was a lot I underlined, but I do not have anything synthesized. To, yeah. But I think there's a lot of good nuggets in there.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And, and one of the things that I really liked, sort of a mantra that she tried with John, one of the characters in the book, who's a little bit difficult is she said, you know, compassion, compassion, compassion. Like if you work really, you know, hard at it, pay attention to it, you can find it. And so you can find compassion for other individuals. You just need to remember. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to do it for today. Thanks so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you soon.
2: Thank you for joining us for this episode.
0: Subscribe to Inspiration from the Couch
1: wherever you access your podcasts.
2: We always welcome your feedback. Visit us on our website at inspirationfromthecouch.com.